The MarTech Podcast is a proud member of the I Hear Everything Podcast Network. Looking to launch or scale your podcast? I Hear Everything delivers podcast production, growth, and monetization solutions that transform your words into profit. Ready to give your brand a voice? Then visit IHearEverything.com. From advertising to software as a service to data. Across all of our programs and clients, we've seen a 55 to 65% open rate. Getting brands authentically integrated into content performs better than TV advertising. Typical lifespan of an article is about 24 to 36 hours. If we're reaching out to the right person with the right message and a clear call to action, then it's just a matter of timing. Welcome to the MarTech Podcast, a Ben J. Shap LLC production. In this podcast, you'll hear the stories of world-class marketers that use technology to drive business results and achieve career success. We'll unearth the real-world experiences of some of the brightest minds in the marketing and technology space so you can learn the tools, tips, and tricks they've learned along the way. Now here's the host of the MarTech Podcast, Benjamin Shapiro. Welcome back to the MarTech Podcast. Today, we're going to continue our conversation about the market opportunities for bootstrap MarTech companies. Joining us is Steve Reardon, who is the CEO at ASG MarTech, which is a unique software business that buys, builds, and operates marketing-leading vertical SaaS companies. Yesterday, Steve told us about why his company is focused on helping bootstrap companies thrive. And today, we're going to discuss his views and the opportunities for consolidation in the MarTech space. Okay, here's the rest of our interview with Steve Reardon, CEO at ASG MarTech. Steve, welcome back to the MarTech Podcast. Thanks, Ben. Good to be with you. Great to have you back on the show. Yesterday, we talked a lot about why bootstrapped founders are succeeding in the MarTech space. And a lot of what you were saying is they're able to build verticalized solutions and compete against some of the biggest players by carving off one niche at a time. Your company has acquired a handful of these bootstrap founder-led companies. I'll throw out that I love this type of business because I'm running one of them. Talk to me a little bit about the acquisition process. When is the right time for an acquisition? Who's getting acquired? And why are they going through this process? I think the right time for a founder to start thinking about this is generally before they start running into some of the scaling problems that happens as these businesses grow. And that position is very, very different depending on every single founder. So we see a real range of seller motivations in the market. Often we see young entrepreneurs that have started a business, have gotten it to a certain point, usually around, let's say, five to 10 employees. It's going well. They're adding a ton of MRR. They're profitable. They're making a little bit of money, but they're starting to get operationally, you know, there's some risk in the operations of the business. It's hard to manage eight people individually. Often they've got a bunch of remote employees. Things are breaking. It's kind of difficult to service their customers as well as they'd like. And they get into this point going like, well, I now really need to take this business from like 10 people to 50 people. And do I want to be on that ride or do I want to bring on a partner, get some liquidity for me and my employees and move on? So that's a very common one. The other one is purely a piece of economics. Often these businesses get to the scale where they can sell for a price for which founders believe fairly compensates them for their time and energy, takes some skin out of the game and allows them to focus on something else or redouble their efforts on the business. 
That number is different for every single human being on the planet, but that's often a big seller motivation. And then the last one is when there is potentially things that need to be done that the founder doesn't have the specialties to do. So when the founder realizes that they have to open up an enterprise sales uh, division and they, they don't really have any experience in doing that, or they need to enter into strategic partnerships with other players in the market and they've never really gone through that process before, or they need to do some M&A, that's when we tend to see them. So it really is quite a personal decision. There's never really a right time for anyone. The right time for one founder could be $5 million of ARR, the next founder could be a million, the next founder could be 100 million. It really depends on when people want to get off the bus and have some liquidity and have an event happen. Running a company can be a very emotional experience. I've done it a couple times. I've failed a couple times. One of the things that I'm curious to hear about is when founders are coming to you and they're interested in selling their companies, how tired are they? Like, is that a component? Is it people that are running successful businesses and they're just trying to get out of the way? Or do you get people who are like, I built this thing. It's doing pretty well. I'm exhausted and I need to take a break. It's a part of it. There definitely are founders that come in that need a break that have invested almost all of their personal net worth in the business. They have something that's worth something. They want to take some time off, decompress. And also, not only are they tired, they're emotionally worn out from bearing all of the responsibility of the business. When the site goes down, their customers phone them. When there's an issue with an employee, the employees phone them. And I'm the same as you. I've started a few businesses, failed at a few as well. And you're right. It's a huge part of the process for some people. Not for everyone, but for some people, it's a real deal. Yeah. Talk to me about some of the trade-offs when you're selling a company. Obviously, if you're bootstrapped, you're investing, you mentioned in some cases, almost all of your personal net worth into building a company. Is there a standard range in terms of an acquisition cost? Do you use a multiplier off ARR? How do people think about what is the right value and rate to sell their company? Everyone uses a slightly different metric. Let's just say that I think that the market prices these things in multiples of revenue because that's what people generally see out in the market. So a multiple on ARR. We as private equity founders obviously think a little bit more in terms of multiples and EBITDA. Ultimately, at the end of the day, they wash out to the same thing. The range is massive. It varies a lot depending on how big you are and how fast you're growing. I think in general, you could probably expect to get, I don't know, somewhere in the region of two to five times annual recurring revenue for your bootstrap business, uh, You know, assuming you're in the kind of two to $10 million of ARR range. But again, every investor is going to have a slightly different view on that. Some investors are going to be heavily growth focused. So they want to see a high growth number and are prepared to pay a premium for that. Some folks are going to be more interested in profitability. So it's going to become a little bit more of an EBITDA multiple discussion. So there's a range. But yes, you should be getting some reasonable multiple on revenue. I think that two to five, what your annual revenue is, understanding that, you know, for some people it's one and for some people it's a 10 multiplier, but the, the standard range being two to five is what I've heard. I've heard basically three to five annual revenue. I think that's right. I think if you're profitable and you're growing relatively well, I think three to five is a reasonable metric for you to have in your head. Or if you know the acquirer really well. <laughs> right. And again, the main thing about this comes down to that tiredness thing or the worn out thing is like, again, these things become real personal decisions with bootstrap founders. And it's, it's about, is that enough money? The question you asked is like the trade-offs of running these businesses. I mean, there is also a trade-off in selling these businesses, which is like, 
you have to come to terms with the idea that the acquirers are very likely going to take a lot of your effort and your business is going to be worth a lot more a year from now, two years from now, three years from now. So the thing we talk about a lot is how much money is enough money for you to get comfortable with that? Because what you don't want to have happen is you sell your business for $5 million today, and then you do some quick math in the back of your head in a year's time, and you go like, my goodness. It's worth $25 million. Yeah, it's worth twenty five. I was an idiot and regret that thing the rest of your life. We stake our reputation on having happy founders, on having founders that have a high NPS experience dealing with us. And a big part of that is like, is this an amount of money that makes you complete and feel good about your effort over the last however many years? A special thanks to our presenting sponsor, Mutinex. Ready to take your team from I think to I know? Then join brands like Samsung, ING, and Asahi who make better marketing decisions with Mutinex. Mutinex Growth OX, the marketing mixed modeling platform that makes measuring ROI fast, easy, and cost-effective. Request a demo at mutinex.co. That's M-U-T-I-N-E-X dot co. Time for a one-minute break to hear from our presenting sponsor, Mutinex. In 1919, John Wanamaker said, half the money I spend on advertising is wasted. I just don't know which half. Well, the advertising landscape has changed since then. And instead of reaching your audience on two channels, you're probably reaching them on 20. Turns out John didn't know how easy he had it. But that doesn't mean that you should give up on striving towards marketing effectiveness. No matter how complex your marketing strategy is, Mutinex Growth OX is the market mix modeling platform that measures the impact of marketing on your bottom line. Mutinex's market mix modeling platform calibrates your insights against the latest market conditions so you can make media and marketing investment decisions confidently and quickly. Ready to take your team from I think to I know? Then join brands like Samsung, ING, and Asahi who make better marketing decisions with Mutinex. Mutinex Growth OX, your best decision starts here. To learn more about Mutinex, go to mutinex.co. That's M-U-T-I-N-E-X dot co. Okay, here's the rest of today's interview. So talk to me more broadly about the consolidation and acquisition in the MarTech space. I know that you're focused on helping the bootstrap founders find liquidity and an exit path. Are you seeing acquisitions happening mostly in that space? Do you feel like you've carved out a niche? Are there acquisitions and consolidation happening at the top and for the biggest companies? Talk to me about the greater M&A space you're seeing in MarTech. Well, we're definitely seeing a lot of acquisition in MarTech more broadly. We're seeing it across everywhere. So we're seeing it up and down the supply chain. We're both seeing large enterprise platforms buying suppliers and suppliers buying the platforms and doing a little bit of, I guess, vertical integration. We're seeing some horizontal acquisition work, which is kind of a little bit more of what we're involved in, although we've done some vertical work as well. Honestly, I just think it's happening at every single piece. And I think it's super healthy, is the truth. As I said on yesterday's podcast, there's a plethora of solutions. It's a very fragmented market. And in some of these areas, I think it's become quite hard for clients to make informed and smart buying decisions. So when we look at this thing, obviously we always want to maximize shareholder value. We, we want to return money to our investors, but 
at our very highest core, we want to create solutions, whether that's platforms or point solutions that serve our customers as best as possible and make their buying decision and I guess their ongoing maintenance headache as low as humanly possible. So you mentioned point solutions. Talk to me about what you mean by point solutions. We see kind of two different types of organizations, I think. And this is the part that we're, I guess, trying to sort out internally. There is a world of point solutions out there, which are single products that do one thing really well, right? And then there is a bunch of platform solutions that try and do a number of things really, really well. And I guess what we're thinking about is, is there a way to play an intermediary role in that? Is there a way to bring together a number of discrete point solutions that are best in breed? So reviews, SEO, dashboarding, social media management in our case, and bring that together into something that feels a lot like a platform that's easy to buy and easy to use, but doesn't necessarily have the overhead of this one-stop shop of some of the larger platforms and the high enterprise value. So I think we're going to be seeing more and more, I guess, horizontal integration in the space where people try and bring like-minded products together under one umbrella and therefore allow customers to potentially have a single vendor in their space that they're able to engage with rather than multiple vendors, which is where we are at the moment. Yeah, this is kind of the HubSpot model. I guess HubSpot is a little bit more of a platform bringing the ability to tie all these disaggregated data sources into one monitoring tool. But essentially, you're owning that conversation by weaving the companies that you're buying that are point solutions together. Sure. And I guess the question is how much, I mean, this is an open question for us, the how much people like the ability to a la carte choose their point solutions or how much they value the ease of use of dealing with a platform solution or whether there is some kind of marketplace solution in the middle, I guess, to your Vendasta or HubSpot or one of those sort of models, which I think is kind of interesting. Yeah, my understanding of the space is that when you're, it depends who your customers are. When you're dealing with early stage companies, they tend to find that weaving the tools together because they can be more nimble and they can customize things to how they want them to be, find value out of that. And then as you go up market, you end up working with these hubs that tie everything together. And then when you're an enterprise, you end up with a, a single point solution that everybody can use. And the example is Adobe at the top of the market doing everything for creative as opposed to weaving together a toolkit of creative resources when you're at an early stage startup. Yeah, I think that's right. Okay, Steve, last question for you. For the people that are out there that are interested, that are running bootstrap startups, who are you looking for? What's the right fit for your brand and how can people find you? Well, the website's a great way to find us. There's a bunch of founder testimonials on there. That's alpinesg.com. And there's a way for founders to reach us. We're generally a pretty open organization. We look for bootstrap companies that are founder-owned and founder-led. And we're looking for some amounts of million dollars annual recurring revenue and being reasonably profitable at the EBITDA level. So more than a million dollars of ARR is kind of where we do most of our hunting and being profitable to some degree. And also, I guess, some of these key pieces, you know, having a verticalized solution, having a clear vision forward and a good quality product and adding MRR every month is super critical. 
Great. All right. Well, Steve, I'm glad we were able to connect. I can now tell my friends, yes, I know the ASG guys. And next time you have a press release, nobody's going to catch me by surprise. (laughs) Great, Ben. Thanks for having me on the show. I appreciate it. Thanks for being our guest. And that wraps up this episode of the MarTech Podcast. Thanks again to Steve Reardon, the CEO of ASG MarTech, for joining us. If you'd like to learn more about Steve, you can click on the link to his LinkedIn profile in our show notes. You can send him a tweet at Stephen Reardon, S-T-E-P-H-E-N-R-E-A-R-D-O-N, or you can visit his company's website, which is alpinesg.com. A couple of links that I want to tell you about, which are in our show notes. If you didn't have a chance to take notes while you were listening to this podcast, don't worry about it. We've got you covered. Just head over to martechpod.com where we have summaries of all of our episodes and contact information for our guests. If you're a subscriber to the MarTech Podcast, thanks for being a member of our community. We always want to hear from you, so we created benjshap.com slash question, where you can send us your topic suggestions or your marketing questions, which we'll answer live on our show. Of course, you can always reach out on social media. My handle is benjshap, B-E-N-J-S-H-A-P on LinkedIn and on Twitter. And if you haven't subscribed yet and you want a daily stream of marketing and technology knowledge in your podcast feed, we publish episodes every day during the work week. So hit the subscribe button in your podcast app and we'll be back in your feed tomorrow morning. Or if you'd prefer to have our content delivered to your inbox, we also have a once a week newsletter with links to our audio players, episode summaries, and contact information for our guests. To subscribe, go to benjshap.com newsletter. Okay, that's it for today. But until next time, my advice is to just focus on keeping your customers happy. Thanks for listening to the MarTech Podcast, and I hear everything production. Looking to launch or scale a podcast like this one for your brand? Then visit IHearEverything.com.